Let's open up our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We made it as far as through verse 12, so we are picking it up in verse 13 of chapter 3. And it starts on a happy note. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Again, we're in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. You know, this is the great thing about this, really the whole Bible, and offers us wisdom for living, but especially the book of Proverbs, you know, answering the who, what, when, why, how of life and the decisions we need to make. You know, this, this first verse, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. You know, the great thing about this wisdom that's laid out here is you don't need to be anything special to obtain it, you know? So much is portrayed in the, in the media of somebody who obtains wisdom. Well, they've got, they've got special things on their side, special, you know, privileges, or they were just born smart, you know, all these things. But, you know, the wisdom that God is offering his offer is, is available to everyone. Remember, it started back in chapter 1. You know, wisdom was personified as a woman calling at the city gates and all the important intersections of life and community. And she called to the simple to listen to her. You know, you don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a high education or anything. You don't have to have this, the privileges of position in life and things to live a wise life. To receive God's word, you just, and, and walk in that wisdom, you just need to be willing to agree with what God says is true. And you immediately enter into a wisdom that the world doesn't know anything about. So remember, the, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so it doesn't take privileges. It's open to everybody. You know, I'm glad it says, she calls to the simple, hey, I qualify, you know. So happy is the man, right here. You, can, you don't have to go looking farther than right here. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. True wealth. Um, yes, there is monetary wealth found in gold, silver, rubies, things like that. But what does that do for you? when you don't know the what, when, why, how of life, when you need um, a different kind of wisdom that is out going to live that stuff, you know, that that stuff doesn't touch. So wisdom is eternally valuable. And here it is. It says, length of days is in her right hand and left hand riches and honor. Now that's generally true. You know, generally speaking, somebody who lives a life that yields to God and his wisdom and, and obeys and stays away from sin, generally they're probably going to live a longer life than somebody who, you know, lives a life of wickedness and evil. And so that's generally true. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. All her paths are peace. You know, don't mistake peace for quietness. Peace is... Peace is a measure internally that, that comes from God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and it goes on. Peace is a sense that there are adequate resources for what I am facing. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. But when you get into life's difficulties, 
in life's twists and turns that are unexpected, we can have peace, and we do have the peace of God, because we have adequate resources in God for what we face. And that's why the peace passes all understanding. Because it doesn't, it doesn't depend on our understanding. It depends on God's understanding. He can give that to us, and he does give that to us. You know, the, the scripture specifically says there is no peace for the wicked. God himself says that in Isaiah twice. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And uh, God sees to that. That's one of the ways that we were drawn to God because we didn't have any peace in our life. I don't know about you. My life wasn't falling apart so much outwardly, but it was falling apart inwardly. And one of the things I just didn't have was any peace in life. I, you know, things were just meaningless. You know, inwardly it was crumbling because of that, and outwardly it was also. And that's when I got saved. The wisdom of God, it says, all her paths are peace, right? And remember, the beginning of wisdom, those first steps of walking in wisdom, the very foundational steps were what? Beginning of, of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. And so when we come to that place of recognizing what God has said is true, we step over that line that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that's an act of humility, of acknowledging that we don't know how to live life because of sin. And but God has already taken care of that problem and with Jesus on the cross. In, in his crucifixion and his resurrection, he's solved our sin problem. He wants to give it to us as a free gift. right? And then Romans says, Therefore, having been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God. So, wisdom has a lot of peace to deliver. It's peace from God, and it's peace with God. Um, and it's not found outside of that. It's not found outside of, uh, outside of obedience and yielding to God's word. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all those who retain her. I like this passage. It starts happy, it ends happy. Verse 13, verse 18. Uh, and it says uh, that it's happy all those who retain her. Uh, we're going to see that very prominently tonight. Watch how important it is to hold on to wisdom. It isn't just that... It isn't just that you get it and then, okay, I've got it. I can forget about it now. Um, it's not like an inoculation or something. It's you get it and then you yield to it. It takes, a, it takes the position of prominence, of, of deciding and, dis, and making all those fundamental decisions in our life comes from God's wisdom, not our own. There's a danger in not retaining it. And here's the value of wisdom, right? Here's the eternal value, verse 19:20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. The Lord himself used wisdom when he created all that we can know in this physical realm, all that we perceive and see and understand was done by wisdom. How valuable and eternal. We're getting putting before us the eternal weight of wisdom. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up. That's probably a reference to uh, the time what we would call the flood of Noah, when you, know, you can kind of that language kind of fits there. And the clouds dropped down the dew. In other words, the continuation of all the normal 
cycles that we see. It's, it's embedded in God's and rests on God's wisdom. So we're invited to step into that wisdom and, and, and benefit from it. So verse 21, my son, let them not depart from your eyes. There's that theme again. Don't let it depart. We have, a, we have a responsibility in this. God offers it to us, and he wants us to benefit from it. Uh, nothing would make him happier than for us to walk in all his wisdom. But we have a responsibility in that too. He's provided so much out of his love and his goodness. But it's up to us to maintain ourselves in it a little bit. Not that we keep ourselves in there, but we, if we begin to ignore what God has said... Then there, you know, the consequences, well, they could be severe. Uh, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and direction so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. They will beautify your life, like we said in the first chapter. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. That'll be an important theme tonight also. Watch how many times it says, that wisdom will keep you from stumbling. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Uh, Why is that? Well, if you're yielding to God's wisdom in, in obeying him and staying out of sin and corruption, you don't have to worry about who's coming after you. You don't have to worry about uh, what the effects of your actions are going to be. How are they going to blow up on me? You can uh, lie down and rest comfortably in God. You know, uh, uh, back at the beginning of Proverbs, it says that God gives sleep. Uh, back in Proverbs chapter, excuse me, Psalm chapter 4. He says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And now he's going to give us um, some ways of being wise. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. If you see a need and you have the ability to meet it right there, you recognize it, then we should do something about it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. It's good wisdom. You can meet somebody's needs, do it. Right then, don't put it off. Remember James says that in the New Testament, you gotta be, you got to be saying more than just be warmed and filled. You should help somebody be warmed and filled. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Uh, you know, it says there that he dwells by you for safety's sake. That's much more uh, true in their time, you know. You took up residence near a water source probably. You, you had to establish your family and your, your farming around some sort of water source and, and you know, uh, without uh, uh, 
an organized police force in a community, that kind of development came much later. Um, you live together in groups to, to be able to live safely. So don't strive with your neighbor. And, and, you know, that still applies today. Don't strive with your neighbor if it's as much as depends on you. You know, some some you just can't. It's not up to you. That end of it isn't your responsibility. But as much as you can, live at peace with your neighbor. Uh, do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. Um, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Uh, you know, it, it kind of this passage thirty-one through thirty-five kind of gives you the overall look, the large-scale look, which is necessary sometimes to keep from envying the oppressor. This feels a lot like Psalm seventy-three. These few verses, thirty-one through thirty-five. Because remember, Psalm 73 was a guy who was struggling in the moment with envying the oppressor, envying the wicked, because they just had it made and everything was smooth, and and uh, he was, you know, he was keeping his diligence uh, in his own spiritual life, and uh, the things that were happening to him weren't happening to the people who were plainly had walked, you know, had nothing to do with the Lord. And uh, he was on that threshold of going, I'm done with this. This is a waste of time. And then it says, you know, he went into the sanctuary of the Lord and he understood the end. That end game is very, very important for perspective now. And uh, the, the exhortation here is one from a father to children. And, of course, this would be Solomon talking to his kids um, but we take it as uh, from the Lord, uh, the Heavenly Father, talking to us and saying, he's warning us, saying, there's an end. There's a, there's a place where this road of the oppressor ends up in. It is terrible. So don't even step on that road. I, I like this. He blesses the home of the just. That's a wonderful thing. That's a beautiful promise. The home of the just to be blessed. Um, uh, and then in verse 34, he, he, surely he scorns the scornful but gives grace to the humble. This was an important verse. Um, it shows up twice in the New Testament. It shows up in James chapter 4, and it shows up in 1 Peter chapter 5, almost exactly the same. They quote it a little bit differently. They say, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so, uh, you know, the Lord, um, the Lord loves you and wants to do a great many things for you. But we have to admit we need his help and we need the salvation he brings. That's an act of humility. And again, that's how you, we're going to talk about this later uh, as we get into it. And so I'm going to say it ahead of time and then I'll say it again later. And you'll say, Lane, you already said that. And, uh, um, but he, he gives grace to the humble. It's a position of meekness before the Lord, before his word, that allows us to stay on that path of wisdom. Um, and in verse 35, the wise shall inherit glory. 
Um, you know, Daniel says, uh, Then those who are wise shall shine like the stars forever and ever, uh, inheriting glory. And um, uh, we are not going to regret any part of the decisions we make for the Lord now. We're not going to regret them in the future. They might be hard to make. They might leave us in a position of um, being alone, uh, of position of being rejected by people or standing out as, you know, that reproach of Christ. Um, but there's coming a time when all of that is going to bear an exceeding weight of glory. And we are going to wonder why we didn't do it more when we get to that place. So chapter 4. Um, now again, it's... Um, from Solomon, talking to his children. So it says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, and then there's a quote from he must have remembered this from David, his father, down through verse 9, is something that David must have said on a number of occasions so that uh, Solomon heard it uh, early in his life. He, he, he says he heard it when he was tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. So that mother would be Bathsheba, and Solomon at that time would have to have been, you know, of just a little boy. Six, seven, four, five, six, seven, eight, something like that. Before you know, another another sibling came along, um, and so this was you know when he's quoting this, he must have heard this again and again from David. But he, but here's a perspective also to pick up, recognizing that that now that Solomon is talking to his children, and that's this: parents, while you are working hard to. Um, while we work, you know, to labor and pray and get our kids rooted and grounded in the Lord and lay in their hearts those things, know that we're not only doing it for our kids, but we're doing it for our grandkids because they're going to pass it on to their kids, and that's exactly what's going on here. And, and so, you know, even in the children's ministry here, we know that we are not just serving the kids upstairs, but this, the things that we're laying into their hearts now, the Lord tarries, and they have a chance to grow and have kids. And they will also be laying those things to their kids. And so, um, uh, yeah, it is, it is primarily the parent's responsibility to inculcate godliness and fear of the Lord in kids' hearts and minds. But we also know that every kid that steps onto the property here, we have a responsibility to... Um, use all of our resources to lay into their hearts uh, godly counsel and wisdom and love for God, love for his word. So here's what he says. Here's what he's passing on from David. And, you know, I like this. The instruction of a father, you know, uh, maybe you didn't have a father. Maybe you had a father that would never have shared godly counsel with you. Or he had a father that was absent. And, and um, you know, if you're, you're part of that, um, you know what? Uh, a heavenly Father isn't like that. And here he is, Heavenly Father, though he's the most important guy in the universe. <laughs> uh, he is taking the time 
to speak to you in a very easy to grasp and you know gentle kind of eye to eye level because he wants you to understand and so here it is he says let your heart retain my words keep my commandments and live get wisdom get understanding do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth do not forsake her and she will preserve you love her and she will keep you notice how strong that theme is of accepting it and then continuing to yield to it Um, we'll get there a little bit farther he says wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom and all you're getting get understanding exalt her which means obey you put you put this personification of wisdom all that wisdom is in in the principal place in your life to help you make decisions in that decision-making structure and worldview that, you know, we all emerge into adulthood with, whether we think about that or not. Uh, You know, you come into adulthood with, and your kids do, uh, with some worldview. And um, we want that to be uh, lined up as closely as we can with Scripture. Uh, Exalt her, give her that prominent place, leave her in that position, Yield to her all the time, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. You know, I, I see this figurative language about the, um, again, the personification of wisdom as a woman, and yet at the end here, I don't think that's um, any sort of allegorical language. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, crown of glory. She will deliver to you. Yeah. Um, um, again, that's that's what the New Testament says. Says things like that. In uh, how God will mete out rewards at the end, it will be a crown of glory. Do I think it's a literal crown? You know, I don't think so, but. Um, it's certainly a valuable, valuable possession that we will have of glory. And, um, you know, he calls it a crown. I don't know. I haven't been there yet. When I get there, if I, you know, I'll let you know. Um, grace and glory from wisdom. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Again, generally true. Not an absolute promise. Uh, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. There's our uh, stumbling theme again. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Uh, All that we need to get through in life, the Lord is willing to direct us. Remember, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's where we all want to end up, with the Lord directing our paths. But there's some responsibility on our part. Yielding to God and accepting uh, and, and obeying his truth. Take firm hold of instruction, as it says in verse 13. Do not let go. Um, it also says, when you run, you will not stumble. Um, 
just a couple more verses, we'll see this developed a little more. Uh, do not enter the path of the wicked. You know, uh, the, it's like... Um, it's like the Lord is putting up danger signs over that path as boldly as you can. You know, I see him pounding a big sign up there. Do not enter. Right there. <laughs> do not enter. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Is that clear enough? Is that strong enough? For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away until they, unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. It speaks of like a total commitment of addiction or, you know, it just can't get through a day without uh, having a, two scoops of evil, you know. Um, so uh, I like this in comparison to verse 18. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. feels a lot like what we just read back 35. The wise shall inherit glory. The the way of wisdom uh, goes upward and goes out of this world into a different kind of life, um, a life that's higher. In in using these kinds of language, you know what I mean? Um, a life of wisdom that comes from God. And it gets better, and it gets more clear, and you become wiser as you go. It doesn't mean, you, doesn't mean it's any easier. It just means the wisdom is always growing. We're always gaining in wisdom. Uh, but the, on the, on the ver, uh, flip side of that, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. We saw that again, right back in verse 12. When you run, you will not stumble. Back um, in um, uh, there was another stumbling verse. Throw it, yell it at me if you see it. There it is, verse 23. Uh, your foot will not stumble. Um, and here we go. They do not know what makes them stumble. Back in verse chapter three, verse 20, 23. Um, you know, um, there's a way. And it's, I think it should be obvious that sin, um, if you give yourself over to sin, you know, life is just going to be full of these interruptions where sin robs you and takes things and, and things collapse on you. Um, and in a lot of ways, we do it to ourselves when we, we, we do that in darkness. Um, you know, because sin... Sin makes you stupid. I'm sorry it does. Um, I mean, think, think about it. Um, you know, the, the ultimate figurehead of sin is Satan. And there he is with perfect wisdom uh, in heaven. And he is there. He sees God. He, there is no questions about origins there, right? There's no evolution or Zoroastrianism alternatives. You know, there's nothing there. It's, it's worship for God in the beauty of heaven, and then when sin, when he becomes self-centered and begins to want to be God, the delusion of thinking you could replace God, how irrational is that? Sin makes you stupid. It does. Uh, you know, you don't have to go very far to, to um, find it in your, you know, I, before I came to the Lord, wow, I did some stupid things. I think, what? 
You don't have to go very far to see the effects of stupidness, you know. Um, uh, recently in Kansas City, there was a pastor who was robbed at gunpoint um, after a service. And, um, you know, he he didn't have any cash to give them. So um, he, he worked it out and agreed with them that he would give each of the robbers a, a check for $150. And so... He had to give them their, they had to give him his, their names clearly written out. Sin makes you stupid. You know, there's another story of a guy who recently uh, robbed somebody's house, broke in, and thought it was cool. And so while he's robbing it, he, he founds the person's computer and he checked in on his Facebook page. And then he robbed the house and left and forgot to log off. So the guy gets home, his house is robbed, the robber's Facebook page is up. Okay, yeah. Sin makes you stupid. They don't know what makes them stumble. It's, you know, it's kind of humorous to see that kind of stuff, but literally we can just do the dumbest things under the influence of sin. Self-destructive, because sin, that's all that sin does. It's all the devil does is come to steal, rob, kill, and destroy. So, again, verse 20, the father talking to us, my son or my child, take that as my son, my daughter, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That was right out of the, out of the very beginning, right? Um, if, if you incline your ear to wisdom. If you incline your ear to my sayings, verse 21, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Remember last time, last week when we were together, we looked at the importance of the heart in the midst of wisdom. Here it is. Um, the heart is central to that, um, that part of our life, the Bible says, of decision-making, kind of the structures where, where we evaluate, we make decisions, we, we, we weigh things out, happens in our hearts. And um, so, uh, you know, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. And um, here it's also, you have to keep your heart in wisdom, let them keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Ah, wow, that's a, if you have the NIV, it sends it this way. It says, above all else, guard your heart or keep your heart, for out of it uh, flow the issues of life. And, uh, you know, as a young believer, I, you know, I was uh, reading Proverbs and, and looking for wisdom. When, when the Bible says above all else, <laughs> there's something to take notice of. I mean, it's not that the rest of it can be dismissed, but when it says put this one right at the top, then, uh, you know, as a young believer, I sat up and take notice of that. Keep your heart with all diligence. Above all else is, is loaded into that meaning there. Then when we go to the New Testament, we find this. Um, Proverbs, excuse me, uh, Philippians, right? It says, um, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Um, you know, the guarding of our heart... Um, we're responsible for it, but the Lord wants us, wants to come right alongside and help us guard it. Um, but we need to invite him to do that. 
And we need to, we need to uh, acknowledge him as the one who understands our hearts. As uh, hearts are one of those things that we just are not good at evaluating our own hearts. We just aren't. Um, if, there's a, if there's a chief source of deception in our life, it isn't out there. Although there's a lot of stuff out there that wants to deceive us, it's our hearts. Our hearts will deceive us. We play games with our hearts. We're so capable of lying to ourselves and rationalizing that. Um, we, would, we would never accept that in anybody else, but we do it to ourselves. And so um, it's just an act of continuous meekness before the Lord. Like David said, search my heart, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. We give God permission, continuously has permission, to search our hearts and bring to our attention things that need to change. He does it with grace and he does it with love. He doesn't do it in a condemning fashion. He shows us the things that will keep us from intimacy with him, from being used by him to glorify him. So he, he weeds those things out. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Verse 24, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. What's the direction, directional value of what you are doing? What what the choices I'm making now, where are they going to get me? Let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. And then chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a lot about um, sexual immorality. And um, I think it's a, interesting that we would arrive at Proverbs chapter 5 in light of um, recent, the most recent Supreme Court decision. It says, uh, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. You can read that again. as my daughter, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Um, you know, you could, there's immoral women, yes, there's also immoral men. So uh, write it however you need to. There, um, the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Honey was the sweetest thing that they knew of back then. And they, uh, you know, an immoral woman knows how to, how to sweet talk you. Um, her mouth is smoother than oil. Uh, she's a smooth operator. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. How's that for uh, frightening? Lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Um, the sexually immoral... Life is an unstable life. It says it right there. Her ways are unstable. Um, uh, someone who is sexually immoral is unstable. I'm sorry, they are. Um, it says, therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Okay, we've got to put this in perspective again. Remember, this is Solomon talking to... Someone who needs wisdom, one of his children. And look, 
you know, there does come a time when we, we need to load our kids up with warnings about sexual immorality. We don't need to go into gory details, but we need, we need to give them enough so that they are warned clearly and um, warned about the, the, the real dangers that are out there. And um, we don't want to defile their innocent little minds with unnecessary details, but um, we want to keep them armed for the battle ahead of time. And so, therefore, hear me now, my children, do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, far from the immoral person. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. You know, that would be the, the result of uh, sexual immorality in their time. Um, would be, uh, you know, for if he's talking to, again, Jewish people, you know, the, the consequences of God, God's people falling into sexual morality at that time, eventually they did, right? That's one of the main things that they went into captivity for. Their idolatry, their gross immorality went with that. Um, he says, and say... When you have to end there, here's verse 12 um, through 14 is the perspective of standing at the end and looking back. It's available to us now before we get to that place where we have to own this. Look at what's being said and how, how they're responding inwardly. How I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers you know, teachers that could also be Sunday school teachers. Nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly of the congregation. In other words, I, I was in such a better place and I left it. And I should have listened to them. I should have listened to people. Um, you know, once in a while, uh, I know this is in, in sexual immorality, the, the context, but every once in a while... You know, David, David wants to be a police officer. He's thinking about, you know, you're a little boy. You want to be heroic and things, and he wants to be a police officer, possibly. That's awesome. And so he wants to watch the cop shows once in a while. I don't let him watch much of that because that, some of that's pretty heavy duty. But once in a while, you know, we'll take a glimpse at it. And, uh, you know, it's, you see somebody in, pro, in trouble with the police, and they're some state of their life falling apart and they're being arrested and you know and and we make a point of praying for that person when we see them on TV you know we say lord that person's life has fallen apart please save them when they're you know in the midst of their their uh, criminal judgment there um but I, I always like to point out to to David look that person you don't know where they started but i guarantee you They've ignored people in their life that told them not to do that. And that's um, exactly what's, what's going on here. Sort of a 3D image there. That he, you know, we, we have a chance of pointing that out. These are people that didn't listen to their parents, didn't listen to their teachers, didn't listen to their counselors, didn't listen to their coaches, didn't listen to their pastors, their grandparents. And so they stand there 
and now the calamity of their actions has fallen upon them. This one is sexual immorality, and it brought them to total ruin. And then, um, you know, I, I guess it's time to, to comment on the uh, Supreme Court decision. Here we are, you know, Chapter 5. Um, you know that the Supreme Court handed down the decision that now homosexual marriage is a right in America no matter what state. And, uh, you know, in, in my mind, this was inevitable. Um, it started long ago with somebody pushing forward the idea of homosexuals being married, and, it, and they made little gains here and there, and, here and, there, and, and it's kind of like the tide coming in. You know, on the ocean, you, you occasionally have the big wave that rolls in, and then there's a reaction, and it rolls back. And that was kind of the way it was. Eventually, that tide, though, Everything's going to be underwater. It doesn't matter how far one goes now and how far one in reaction is. Eventually, they're going to get it, and it happened. Um, you know, that's that's the. I think that's when they've when society divorces marriage from the God who gave it, and it just becomes a civil right. Life, living the liberty, and the pursuit of happiness apart from God means anything, and so. Um, you know that's one of the, um, unfortunately, that's one of the that's one of the fundamental errors that's going on right now in America. The Constitution kind of has some assumptions in it, and one of the assumptions is that these these freedoms that the Constitution, um, you know, frames out and gives protections to, those are assumed to be given to a people who are. Want to know the difference? Who know the difference between right and wrong, and want to do what's right? And so that constitution works when you do that. But when the people don't know what's right and wrong, can't tell the difference, then then anything goes. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness can mean anything. And unfortunately, we're seeing the the results of that now. We've unplugged it from God and meaning anything. Um. So marriage. Now, between two men, two women, or a man and a woman, it's a very short step to then say, because you know that's that's my right is to be happy in marriage is to be married to three people, two men and a woman in marriage together, or three men or three women. Really, marriage, really, it's just a very short step to, to the marriage has no meaning. But more than that, I think, as it bears on us as believers, is that, and you've already seen some language, if you, if you have watched the uh, news and seen the commentary, because they have taken homosexual marriage and made it a right equivalent to whatever other rights, then... It's those who stand up and say that's a sin. What right do you have to tell me that my rights are wrong? You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's a very, very short path to criminalize um, the preaching of that being a sin. Uh, and I think we're headed there uh, faster than, than we want to admit. Um, so, look, as believers... Um, you know, we're going to be, we're already in the minority. Um, I think it's going to be, 
um, harder and harder to, and there's going to be a larger and larger cost to pay to come out and say what a sin is because their sin is being protected by rights. And um, uh, I just think we need to hold that perspective. I I just don't think there's any escaping it. Um, There will be churches that, in our area, that do homosexual marriages. It will happen. I can think of a few really liberal denominations that that are already saying that they'll marry homosexuals. We won't be doing any same-sex marriages here. Amen. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. This is a euphemism for sex, sexual relations. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them Be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and as a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. How come I get these passages? (laughs) Realizing, okay, no. And always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured with an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Again, the admonition to enjoy the sexual relationship within marriage. Uh, the great analogies I've heard about it are, uh, are apropos. Sex is like duct tape. Um, you know, it bonds things together very, very strongly the first time you use it. And the, those things can stay together. Um, sex, sex is like that, sexual relationship within the confines of a husband and wife. It'll bond them together very, very deeply for life. Just like duct tape, though, if you tear that off, the next thing you try to bond together, it's not quite as adhesive. And you keep tearing that off and putting it on different things, eventually it's lost its significance. It's lost its power. It's like that. Sex is like that. If it becomes a common thing, it's, it, then it becomes meaningless in marriage. Um, sex is also like um, a, uh, in, in a, a marriage... Um, is also like fire in your fireplace. You know, fire in your house, you put it in the fireplace, it's in the right place, the right kind of protections. Boy, it, it, it can warm the whole house, but take it out of the fireplace and it'll burn your house down. Good analogies. Take it out of the context with God gave it and it'll destroy you. Verse 21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Um, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. He shall die for lack of instruction. The idea there, back in verse 12, 13, 14, it's not that there wasn't any instruction, it's that he ignored it. We ignore wisdom to our own detriment. You know, as, as parents, who doesn't want to see their kids go and be blessed and have a fruitful life full of all kinds of good things? Our Heavenly Father wants that too for you, for me. Um, and he, he takes the time to come and speak to us 
right face to face. You know, you get down, you talk to kids, you get down on your knees and you talk to them and they look you right in the face. And that's what God is doing for us. Um, he's coming down and talking to us in very simple, easy to grasp language. He's, he's telling us there's ways that are good. He's telling us the ways that are very, very harmful and destructive. And he knows. So uh, we yield to him. We bring him joy. Right? When, you're, when your kids do right and, and you have an opportunity to bless them, wow. I'm not sure who enjoys it more, David or me. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, when mom and I get to bless David and do great things for him, everybody's blessed. Um. We want our kids to stay in that place. Nothing brings more sorrow to a parent than to have to have to discipline him, have to discipline them. You know the old saying, Dad would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. As a kid, you didn't believe that. <laughs> and now you're a parent and you go, okay, now I understand. I understand what you meant. Yeah. Um, so we are exhorted to stay within the confines of God's wisdom, and let him bless us and lead us and guide us. Let's finish there. Why don't we stand and pray as we go our way tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We do thank you, Lord, for coming close and talking to us and giving us easy-to-understand things. We can walk in your path of wisdom. Help us, Lord. We do give you that permission to search our hearts and to lead us in that everlasting way, Lord, because we want to be where you are, because we love you. And we give you the permission to guard our hearts, and we want it guarded, because we want to stay with you. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we give you this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.